But we are going to get straight into it this morning because we're talking about this series called Hold Nothing Back with the overarching theme of the year being all in, giving everything to God. And today I want to look at a passage of an encounter with Jesus that really teaches us about obedience. And it doesn't matter too much that we're a bit short of time because half the message has been preached this morning with the with the examples of obedience that have already been demonstrated by these testimonies that have been shared in church. Joel preached an incredible message last week. I wasn't here. I managed to catch it on the podcast. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you if you can't be in church for some reason, um, still be in church by grabbing the podcast and continuing on the journey of where God's taking us through these messages. Even if you're an Android user, you can still somehow subscribe and get a podcast if you haven't yet joined the iPhone Club. Wow. Okay, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 1, we're going to read from. This morning, it'll be on the screens if you need it. My Bible titles this, The First Disciples. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. That's what happens when I go fishing as well. But if you say so, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, Please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything everything. They held nothing back and followed Jesus. Thanks, DJ. Oh, do I need to go through all that again? No, we're good. All right. Here's this really cool scene when you think about it, because Jesus comes to the shore of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching to a crowd that comes. And there's, there's, there must not be enough space. So he sees a couple of empty boats, steps onto the boat, floats out a little bit so that he can preach to the crowd. And it's this real interesting moment that we see here uh, because Jesus says to Simon, who next chapter over, he be, begins to call him Peter. So it's Peter the disciple that we know him better by. 
tells him that he needs to go out into the deeper water and start fishing again. And as the Bible tells us, he catches a whole lot more fish than he can handle. He calls over his partners and, and they get in such an incredible haul that it is worth mentioning that it was unusual the amount of fish that they caught. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to note about this story. Number one, fishermen do not take advice from carpenters. Like, think about it. Let's not just read over the story and go, yep, that's the one we've heard. Think about it. Here are fishermen who would have come from families of fishermen who had been fishing these waters for multi-generations and all of a sudden a guy they don't know who has the hands of a carpenter says to them, why don't you try going out a bit deeper? Fishermen do not listen to carpenters. The other thing is they had already been up all night fishing. This was their job. They had caught nothing. No fish, no pay. No fish, go home empty-handed, nothing to eat, nothing to feed the family. Who at the end of a night shift wants to be told to go back to work to achieve nothing again? Thirdly, they just packed up their nets. Now, we're not talking about a couple of Kmart fishing rods and reels and a little cute tackle box in the back of the car on the way home. This was a professional fishing setup. This would have taken them time to clean, to repair, to ready their nets for the next day. They didn't want to just go back out and have another go. Number four. Number four, they, they would have most likely been using cast netting, okay, so throwing nets, catching fish across the top of the water. That was how they were set up to be. That's how people fished in the Sea of Galilee. Going deeper was useless to the fishing equipment that they had. And number five, it was the middle of the day. And everybody knows <laughs> that you don't fish in the middle of the day in the Sea of Galilee because the water gets too hot. All of this tells us, very simply, that what the carpenter on the beach, or in the boat rather, was telling them was completely illogical for them to do. It made no sense at all. There was no sense in it to people who understood what was being asked of them to go and do exactly that. It wasn't going to work. It was the last thing that they were going to do. They knew far more than this man who had just started preaching from their boat. But yet, Peter says those incredible words. We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so. But if you say so. Peter, the man who knew this stuff back to front for many, many years. But if you say so, we will go and do it. Even if it's illogical, doesn't make sense, is the absolute last thing that we want to do. We'll go and do it. Because Peter knew one thing. And this entire message and understanding of this passage can be wrapped up in a very simple thing. Just do as you're told. Just do as you're told. When the master tells you to do something, just do as you're told. When Jesus tells you to get your nets back out and go back out in the boat, 
Just do as you're told. The end. Let's pray. <laughs> Obedience to the master, to Jesus. Just do as you're told. When he asks you to do something, just do it. When he tells you to go and do something else, go and do it. doesn't matter if you've come off night shift, if it's inconvenient, if it doesn't make sense, if it goes against everything you've ever been told by your father and your grandfathers about what to do in the Sea of Galilee, just do as you're told. The problem with us, here we go, is... Is, and stay with me on this, but there's this thing we do in church, and I call it the mythology of calling. Don't get offended. Journey this with me. Because I've had to preach this one to myself 10,000 times before I could share it with you. The mythology of calling. That is the words that we use in church about calling. Oh, I don't know if I feel called to that. I feel called to go and do this. And it's interesting because I've, I've journeyed a lot of years in ministry in church and in leadership. And I very rarely have found those words used to describe something that relates to throwing the nets out in deeper water. Usually we use them, I use them, to talk about the things that I don't want to do to remain in my comfortable place. Or to not be obedient to what the master has asked me to do. Well, I'm not sure if I feel called to that. Well, I don't know if that's the right season for me or if this is the next chapter that I should go into. Very rarely, and again, I'm preaching this to myself each and every day. Do I find myself even saying, well, I feel called to do something that requires me to put my empty boat back in the water grab my nets out of the back of the Hilux, get them back in there, push out into deeper water and do something that doesn't make sense. I call it the mythology of calling because the word calling allows us to stay in a comfortable place on the beach where we don't have to step back out into deeper water. Instead of just being obedient and asking, Jesus, what would you have of us? And if you say so, I will. Because the thing, right, while I'm already offending half of the congregation, whoever told us that we had a say? Whoever told us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, that we get to have an opinion of what's asked of us? Whoever said we get to say no or that it doesn't fit our time? Because does it not say in the Bible that we are slaves? Does Paul not mention that many times to the churches that he writes to? But I am Paul, a slave to the master, to Christ. Have we not been bought with a price? Even the word that we, we use, redeemed, that we sing about, I am redeemed, or well, that might be going back a little bit too far, but we, the, the word redeemed that we use in the culture of the New Testament was talked about not in freedom and walking away, but in the redemption of purchasing a slave from one to another. So when Jesus talked about this, he's telling us, I'm now your master. Thankfully, we don't serve a master that punishes us 
He's not a slave master as it may have been understood back in this time. But whoever told us that we get to have a say when the master speaks? Why are we surprised that Peter turned around and said, but if you say so, Lord, well, of course, he's the master. We're a slave. Thankfully, in, in, in our age, while slavery definite, most definitely still does exist, I'm not denying that. We don't see it each and every day in, in the world that we live in, like as it would have in the first century. So the most common analogy that I can think of is parenting. <laughs> we don't have slaves, we have kids. And uh, yeah, all the parents know what I'm talking about. Because you know when, you, when your child comes to you and you're like, mate, unpack the dishwasher. I don't want to. What do you mean you don't want to? I don't want to do that. You have to do it. I made you. You have to do what I say. There's a thing that triggers in my mind as a parent that's like, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. Just do as you're told. And that's the closest analogy that I can think of as to how our obedience to Christ should be. Now, as I said, I'm so thankful that Jesus isn't a master that says, right, go to your room, no Xbox for a week. (laughs) You're not using your iPad for a month until it's convenient for your mum and dad because it keeps you occupied while we want to do... I'm thankful that we don't have a master that punishes us for our lack of disobedience as, as, a, as a slave master would have in the first century. But we have a master, we have a Lord that says, okay, maybe next time. Not this, okay. Maybe next time you'll be obedient. Because remember in, in 1 Samuel 15... It's where we get the kind of one little line that becomes a real famous quote, but it's a Bible passage. It says, obedience is better than sacrifice. We all know it. So Jesus doesn't punish us for our lack of obedience, but he probably gives us that little bit of disappointed dad look. Hmm. But he's not disappointed that we disobeyed him. He's disappointed because he knows better than we ever will that our obedience to him is far better than any sacrifice that we will make. And that's why he looks at us, not looks at us with disappointment, but maybe just a little bit disappointed that, oh, just if you would be obedient, you have no idea what's on the other side of that door. Maybe next time, maybe next time when I ask, you will find obedience. But I guess we also think that it was probably easier for Simon Peter. I mean, he was just a fisherman living by the Sea of Galilee. Just a fisherman. Easily walk away from that and follow Christ. But fishing was actually one of the highest paid incomes in in that time, in that area. Because of their ability to do commerce across the seas, the fact that it was a, just, just an important part of the, the, eco, the economy of that area. In actual fact, that they say that the fishing was one of the most lucrative. And also, if you owned the boat, you were in the best deal. There was these traditions, these laws, basically like an award system for fishing that said if you owned the boat, you got 40% of anything that happened on that boat. 
We know that Peter had multiple boats because he had to call over a friend. The remaining 60% was split between whoever was working on the boats. And Peter was also working on the boat. So he was getting income from owning the boat, from being a part of the boat. And I found this, this research that in the, around the 4th century, they, they found a place in Capernaum that is called the House of Peter. And it's believed that it was Peter's house, that this was where he lived and where, he, where his family was. Peter was a married man. That's another, another thing that he walked away from, his family to follow Christ. Not recommending that, but it happened. And, and they noticed in the report and the research about this house that it was significantly larger than any of the others in the area. So it is most likely that Simon Peter was a highly successful and wealthy man, yet still, Lord, if you say so, and I will walk away and I will follow you as your disciple. Because Peter knew that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Peter knew that when Jesus comes in to your life, when obedience becomes a part of your everyday response to Christ, then that's when the empty boats in your life suddenly become the platform that Jesus preaches and teaches and people encounter him through. That the nets in your life that are dried, broken, not being used, suddenly can become full of fish and the greatest harvest that you've ever seen. The fact that you were going home empty-handed can suddenly change. That your life direction can be radically altered in just a single moment of obedience to Christ. Peter went from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. Clever play on words there, Jesus. Well done. But think about it. Fishing, next minute, literally, disciple of Christ, three years later, starts the church. Starts the church that changes the world. Why? Master, but if you say so. But if you say so. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I want to share two quick things. We're moving quick this morning. That, that we can take from what we have learned about Peter in this passage and, and apply it to our now, our life. You know, this is why we study the Bible. It tells us all scripture is inspired by God. We need it for three things, to teach us what to do, to teach us what not to do, and to equip us for life. And that's why we can find everything that we need to act in obedience and to step out in Christ in his word. And recently I've been reading Ephesians. I've changed the way that I read the Bible, and it's awesome. I recommend it. I used to try and, 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 and do what I would call like churning, just try and consume as much of the Bible as I can, like read the Bible in six months, listen to it in audio versions, read it on my phone, read my big Bible, whatever it might be. But recently, the last few weeks, I've been committing to reading three chapters a day of Ephesians, 
which means every two days I'm reading the entire book just over and over and over again. And it is an amazing way. Some of you are looking at me like, I've been doing that for 20 years. Well, I just caught up with you. But it's awesome. And so my, all my, my heart and my mind just goes to things that I'm reading in Ephesians at the moment. And there's a couple of things that we can grab straight out of there that, will, that can relate to this story and this, this need that we have to be obedient and just do as we're told. When Jesus asks us just to have a response of, but if you say so, Lord... And in Ephesians 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible now is uh, verses 11, 12, and 13. It tells us that Jesus gave gifts to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the disciple, the pastor, and the teacher. And he gave them to the church in verse 12 for the building up, for the equipping of the saints, of the people. Verse 13, so that we may measure up to the full stature of Christ, to be mature in who we are as Christians. So it's a real simple process. Jesus gives gifts. We use them to equip the church and we find maturity in that. Now why that doesn't make sense to us is that we live in a world and a culture and a kingdom in this world that has that backwards. It switches the verses around. It says you get given gifts But let's go to verse 12. Let's find maturity first and then we'll jump back to verse 11 and we'll use our giftings to equip and build the church and the saints. That's what makes sense in our world. You think about it. You you come to church, which you do, obviously you're here. You make a decision to follow Christ and without even anyone having to say it, the general idea is, Just sit in church for a while. Get to know God. Get to know the church. Get mature in your walk with God. And then let's reactivate those giftings and those talents and those things that Christ has given you and start to use them. But the kingdom of God is different. God's given you a gift. Jesus has given you, all of us, something that he wants us to use. But we find maturity in the use of them and using them within the church, within the context of this community of people, within equipping and building up other people. And from that, we ourselves find maturity and strength and resilience in our walk with God. But how often when we are faced with the request of our master, Do we say, not ready for that? Not yet. Just got to sit for a while. Just got to find my feet. Just got to read a couple more books. Just got to get a little bit more training. And then I'll be ready. But let's also remember that this isn't the only time that Jesus encounters these guys and gives them some fishing advice. You know, there's a book. What the carpenter says to the fisherman. It happens again in John 21. Same thing, huge harvest of fish. And I love that message because it shows us that even though there was an incredible harvest of fish, they were able to handle it. In John 21, it says the fish were so large and so many, yet the nets did not break. 
which is an important observation because it must have been assumed that they should have broken. What this tells us is that when the master asks obedience of us, he knows exactly what we are ready to do. He knows exactly what we can handle. It's not for us to sit back and go, can I just request an Ephesians 4, 11, 12, no, 11, 13, 12 world, please, where I can just get a bit of maturity first? No, he says, get active, follow me, throw your nets out, push out into the deeper water where you might not feel ready for. And like we sang this morning, he will always be there. He will always be by our side. When I was 20 years old, I suddenly found myself from being a, a volunteer youth leader to being a youth pastor in, in employed in, by a church in like just like that. Got a phone call. Something's happened to the previous youth pastor. She's not well. We need you to come in. Okay. And a couple of weeks later, a, a pastor who I did not know prayed for me and said, here's the deal, Adam. For all of your life, you will walk a parallel journey in your ministry. You will lead as you learn. You will grow as you are growing. And you will never feel ready for any position that God has given to you. And don't I know that to be true? But it's not just true for me. It's for all of us. We will never feel that we have all that it takes. We will never feel ready to push out into deeper water. But that's the whole idea because if we felt ready, we would do it in our own strength. So we can never sit back when the master requests obedience of us or a task or something that he would have of us and say, I don't feel ready because his response is good. Get up and do it anyway. In Ephesians 4 verse 28, I love this one. I'll get the band to come so that you guys know that I'm finishing soon. (laughs) Ephesians 4 verse 28 says, If you are a thief, stop stealing. Good advice. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Now, sometimes I feel like English is my second language, but it's not. But what I understand from this is that if you are a thief is a noun. It's a naming word. If it's not, just go with it. It is good. Quit stealing is a verb. You see what's happening here? Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus, if you are a thief, quit doing the act of stealing. He doesn't say, don't be a thief anymore. Stay with me. He doesn't say, if you are a thief, stop being a thief. He says, stop stealing. So you know what's really interesting? Is that God just doesn't give gifts and talents to Christians. He gives them to everyone. Some of us have used them for not so good things. Some of us use them for good things. But God gives gifts to everyone. When we become a Christian and give our life to Christ, we don't suddenly get a software upgrade where we get all these new skills and things that we didn't have. They've always been there. We just now have a bit of direction to say, hey, listen, if you're a thief, stop stealing. 
But use whatever, stay with me, whatever made you a good thief for good. Whatever made you good at what you did or whatever gift you had that maybe you were a bit misdirected on where to use it, now start to use it for good. Lisa, hello. She can't change that she had cancer. It doesn't say, if you had cancer, forget that you ever had cancer. It said, now start using that which was meant for evil in your life and use it for good. Take what you have in your hand, your empty boats that are sitting on the shore, push them out in the deep water and let Jesus be the platform for them. What have we all got in our life that we have had that maybe didn't go to plan like a night of fishing without reward that just needs the instruction of the master to push that boat out deeper into the water so that he can use it in our life. If you're not a thief, please don't become a thief. But if you are a thief, quit your stealing. But use that gifting that you directed the wrong way and use it for good. I've got a, I'm going to call him a friend. I consider him a friend. And um, he... Uh, he won't ever hear that. He probably wouldn't like if I was sharing about him, but he won't ever hear this message. Well, he will hopefully one day when he comes to know Christ. But, but that's the whole thing. He doesn't know Christ. And a lot of people that meet him from church, they know and, and they look at this guy and go, he is an amazing pastor. He cares for people like no other. He sacrifices himself and his wants in his life for the, the betterment of a community that he's a part of. He builds a community. He knows hundreds of people's names, remembers intricate details about them. Remembers things about me that I don't even remember and reminds me of them. But he doesn't know Jesus yet. Instead of using the J word, he uses the F word a lot and it's really awkward. But he is a thief that needs to quit stealing. He's an incredibly gifted man. God, I'm 100% convinced that Jesus has given him the gift of pastoring, of evangelism. He just has it directed in the wrong way at the moment. Not even in a bad way, just not in the way that God intended it to be. All of us are in that position. Many of us sit here this morning Allow your heart to hear from God in this moment. Many of us sit here this morning with boats up on shore. After fruitless nights of hard work. After feeling tired and exhausted of being on night shift. And for many of us, our boats are dry. They haven't seen water for a lot of years. And we're waiting till we feel ready, till we feel mature, till we feel like we have it all together. We're waiting until the right 
opportunity presents in the mould of the mythology of calling of where we fit. But the whole time, in this very moment this morning, the Master is saying to you, let's just push it out deep. Come on. Invite me on the boat. You don't have to give up on it. If you are a thief, just don't do the stealing part, but let me back in. Let's push deeper. Let's see a harvest in your life that no one says is possible. That even for generations before you, people have said this will never happen in your life. But it will. If we simply just do what we are told.